could just, um, on the sides, just uh, switch these lights on uh, without tripping over anything. Uh, just so, because I'm like this, I can hardly see you. Can you hear me all right? No. Thank you. Um, I just want to clear up one thing from last week. Um, picked it up when Heidi was listening to it. In fact, Heidi picked up on it as soon as we got into the car. Yeah, Heidi said that, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you like when you only say that you pray for five minutes? What I meant to say was that sometimes when we're in a rush and we have that five-minute prayer, sometimes that's what we cling on to. You know, and it's all right to do that. It's all right with the busyness of life, but we've still got to put time aside. We've still got to put time aside to be with him. And we put some time aside. Heidi had a dream um, on the uh, Monday night, and she dreamt, really, that we had to go, not as a body of people, but we had to pray and step into that gap on that part of the wall and go into deep repentance. So on Wednesday night, we met here in Bushfire, and there were seven of us here, and, and we really prayed really strong into all sorts of things about this land. And Excuse me, I just swallowed the wrong way. Uh, for this land and, and in so many different areas. And uh, it was really, it was, you know, it was one hour, but it was just felt, you know, really succinct. It was really, you know, in that spirit, in that realm of the spirit realm. And that night I went to bed, just as I normally do, went to bed and fell asleep. And then the next thing, the Lord was standing by me, real, standing on my right. And I knew the Holy Spirit was on my left. And uh, this was as, as real as I'm looking at you today. <laughs> I cannot explain it any other way. It was really real. And we started having a conversation. And I won't go into it because some of it's really personal. He was speaking to me about Joshua, my son. And he was speaking about, you know, to me. But basically, there is now going to be a mix. And what he said was, the tide has turned. The tide has turned. And we are now going to see a mixture because what he presented to me was like a, a mortar bowl. And I didn't know the word. You know when you get that, it was, it was a golden bowl. And you have that petzel. That's it. I was right. That's what this, I mean, I didn't, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never heard the words, you know, but I, I, the Lord, you know, spoke to me. And I just said, is there a thing called a pretzel? <laughs> I know it's a piece of bread, like a petzel or something like that. I couldn't pronounce it. But he's basically saying that there is going to be a mixture now. There's going to be a mixture of the fruits of the Spirit, the character of a person with the gifts. There is going to be such a mixture. You cannot now have the gifts without the character, without the fruits of the Spirit. And he basically um, was telling me all about this. And then I went back into two dreams. And uh, they were very specific dreams. Basically, that, that there is going to be a literal clean-out over this area of the um, demonic influence of sin. So in other words, we're going to have an open heaven without the demonic realm coming in. It's about to happen. And uh, then the Lord showed me in the dreams, the, well, I had these two dreams. He showed me in the dreams that he's going to give us 
equipment. And the way that he spoke to me was through sport. Because Lord will always speak to you through um, words and an understanding that you have. So your dreams might be different, but they might say the same thing. He might speak to Angela through singing or through Steve or, or whatever. But in the whole of it, my father, my father who is in heaven now, he was with me, with my son. So it was always the three of us. So it was the father in heaven who's with us in this generation. This is going to be passed over. There's a passing over. And it's going to be a mixture of, of both the youth and us, each and every one of us. It is not just for the youth. It's going to be a mixture of everybody, mixed in together for the glory of God. So I want to encourage you, but God is going to put things into your hands, weapons or instruments, like he gave me what, what I, was a cricket bat, but it wasn't a cricket bat. It had a, a big sort of like round thing. And, and the Lord says, you never play with a straight bat. That's how he spoke to me. You never play with a straight bat. I always used to try and hit the ball as hard as I could, or you know, all that. So he gave me something that would suit the way that I was going to do things, in the same way that God is going to give you things that suit you. And it's going to literally just, you might do it slightly differently, so it's going to be a slightly different weapon. So I want to encourage you, the tide has turned. Amen. The tide has turned. And so it goes pretty hand in hand in this whole series that we're now going to look at the whole book of Daniel. And Daniel, Daniel's book, the way I've looked, the book of Daniel in the 21st century. And that's how I've, I've looked at it. And we're going to have a look at, because the same strategy that was used in Daniel's day is used in our day. And this one we're going to have a look in chapter 1, but we're going to have a look from, really from chapter 1, uh, verse 3, right through to the end of, of this chapter. And then next week we're going to chapter 2. But it's called Capturing the Youth. Capturing the Youth. And what we're going to have a look at is the same strategies that the devil was using in that day is more relevant to us this day, of how we see in our land a whole capturing of our youth. And how the devil has done it. And what we can do about it. But the more I got this, I suddenly realized Nebuchadnezzar was a very smart man. Very smart man. And they, they say that, um, that he had a... I don't know if you know anything about your IQ level. Uh, your intelligence level. I mean, how that's measured, I've got no idea. But it's not the epinosis. It's not the intelligence of the spirit. It's the intelligence of man, the gnosis. And... Uh, Basically, they measure this. That if you've got 140, you are above average. Above average. But if you're 141, that's double 140. And everything, a mark above that, is double again. So 142 is double 141. Do you get it? That's the way that, that I explained. Yeah, it was when I went and did the research on this. And I looked at, I started having a look at, you know, people down the line of what. Um, IQ they had. Nebuchadnezzar was a smart guy. And they say that he had an, an intelligence above 150, which is, is incredible. Give you an idea. Hitler had an intelligence of 141. Stalin, probably for me the most evil man to walk this planet in the 20, 20th century, killed over 40 million of his own people. Incre you know, incredibly evil man. His intelligence was 170. So these aren't stupid, 
you know, peasant people who've risen to the top. He's a very intelligent guy. Remember, we now have seen a, a, um, a, a change of dictatorship in North Korea. And the guy who's in charge now, his father had an intelligent, intelligence of 160. It's incredible. So what we see is, when you combine intelligent people with evil, it's a formidable weapon. Absolute formidable weapon. So you imagine what's coming on this planet when the Antichrist comes on. An incredibly intelligent man is going to make these look like kindergarten kids. His intelligence is going to be up there. But his evil is certainly going to be up there. And we read in, in Matthew how that uh, these two, the evil, the, the, the light, and the good and the bad are going to be raised up to maturity at the same time. So Nebuchadnezzar was really smart. And do you know one of the things he did? He used the young people. Used the young people for his own timing, his own purposes. And we can see that, you know, um, in chapter 1. How he gets these young men and then he knows exactly what he wants to do with them. And we just have to have a look in the 20th century how Hitler did that. Hitler captured our whole nation. We've looked at the spiritual aspects of that, but he captured the youth of that nation. And how he did it? He brought them into the, the Hitler youth movement and he gave them a golden ring and they had to swear an allegiance to him. And when we see in 1945 the, the advance on Berlin by the Russians, they were so um, lacking in experienced men on the front that the Hitler youth, little boys and girls, the age of 12, armed themselves and they went onto the front line, dying with the name Hitler on their lips. Absolutely. So this is how it can so capture a whole youth in the whole nation. And this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. We see Je uh, Goebbels, who was Hitler's right-hand man, he said, give me a young person to the age of nine and I'll make him a Nazi for life. And that's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church said. Give me a young man or a young girl to the age of nine, I'll make him a Roman Catholic for life. And it's amazing how you can meet Catholic people who have had that upbringing of the Roman Catholic Church and they could be the worst drug baron but they'll have an element of some sort of belief mixed in there. So if you want to change a nation, you change the youth. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. Is that he, had, he had requested total allegiance of these young men. And we can read, and we've done it through the last couple of series, the first thing that he did with young men was he castrated them. Why? Not that they would be tempted, so they wouldn't be tempted of the king's harem. They'd have more than something cut off if they did that, and they would lose their lives. He wanted their total allegiance, and he didn't want their eyes, his, their, these young people's eyes off him, if they were on a young lady. So he took away that whole thing of, your eyes are going to be on me, totally on me. And... We can read in, in verse 4 that there wasn't a blemish on these young men. They were handsome. They were incredibly intelligent. They were taught then the science. They were taught all types of knowledge and understanding. They were, were taught astronomy. 
Not astrology, astronomy. The stars and the planets and, and their whole formation. And they were still in their teens. An incredible, incredible, just amazing amount of knowledge that these young people were going to have on them. Why? Why did he want to do this? Basically, it was all for him. All this intelligence, all of these, this, this whole capture of the youth was for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't for the nation. It was so he could pick and draw off the best of all the nations and have them in his court for his purposes. And it's, it's no more different today. The devil is still at it today. He wants to corrupt our youth so that they will never turn to Jesus. And what he wants to do is he wants to create habits in our young people of habitual sin in their lives. Habitual sin. That it then becomes the norm of how they live our lives. We can see that in families and the way that the devil has attacked the family of the young people. Most young people now are fatherless. Most, you know, we've got over, when you think about just the, the statistics of over 50% of, of, of young people's families, the, the man in the, in the head of that house is not their father. Or they haven't got a father. And they're running around on the streets. We can see it in video games. I mean, the video games and, and the videos that are out there are horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And what they're doing is they're capturing a youth. Video games. Some of them are just astounded at where they, they have literal virtual rapes and virtual murders and virtual monsters going on on these video games and they have this gang thing of you know all sorts of just incredible stuff i mean it's it's quite barbaric there's no other word it's evil it's absolutely evil one of the things that heidi and i've said for our little boy we, he will never have a video game he will not get into it we won't allow it we'd rather watch him have him watch him watch peter rabbit or you know, Peppa Pig, or, or whatever it is. And then the, the corruption of the youth through sex is incredible. Absolutely. We have now got, if you're a young girl, and you've still got your virginity at the age of 13, that's unusual. That's unusual in our schools. And if you've got a young guy, they're looking for it as, as early as 11 and 12. And you can see our young people, when they, by the time they get to 19, 20 years old, they've lived a life. <laughs> they've lived a life that wasn't meant to be lived from the ages of 12 to 18. They should only be starting to live that sort of thing when they're married. And yet, it's the norm now. It's the norm to have many partners. And one of the ways the devil has really captured the youth is through music. You know, the whole thing of music and, and this whole thing of self-image, you know, that you have to be this thing. And, and you look at all the, the advertising, how all these models are incredibly slim. Incredibly slim. You know, and, and when you look at real people, there's no, there, you, you, there's no, there's just nothing, you can't, there's no ways. You know, there's no ways that, you know, you're going to have, you, you can get into that dress if you're a size naught or zero or whatever. What is all that about? What's I want a natural, healthy woman. I don't want this stick insect, you know, that says and boasts that they can get in these, you know, zero-sized dresses. I want, I want something to hold on to. I want something to keep me warm at night, you know. Absolutely. 
But you see, what they're trying to do is destroy their image and destroy their identification of who they are. And we've seen how the devil has captured the majority of our young people, even in churches, even in churches. And we just have to look at our schools. You know, schools, I, I employ anybody, if you're young and you haven't got kids or whatever, or if you've got kids, homeschool them. I'm absolutely a big advocate on homeschooling, purely on looking at this. I knew this was going on after 20 years of working in, in schools, but the apps, it, will, it, will, it would, well, Trevor's a teacher, he, he can tell you, it's not just my word, ask Trevor. It's horrific what young people do, absolutely horrific. And the first thing is through education, they're taught that science, that the Big Bang Theory, that, that that's the way this will be done. And it's now become fact. And there is no evidence for it whatsoever. They pick up a science book. It is fact. The evolution is the real way. And there is nothing. You've got to be crazy to begin to, to even think about that God created this earth. You're crazy. It's ne- there is no mention in it. You know, and this only came in about 100 years ago. And it infiltrated education so quickly. So quickly. We have very little prayer and assemblies. I remember, I think I, I can list on one finger <laughs> how many times that we've had the name Jesus men, mentioned in assembly. And that was me and Heidi, and we got told off for it. We got told off for bringing Jesus into assembly. So we've taken God out of our schools. And it's now purity versus the pill. Purity versus the pill. It's birth controls are passed out now instead of Bibles. You know, and, and the thing that you, when you look at education, they dress in the same way. Every minute of the day is accounted for. There's no more room for individuality within our schools. There's no more room for free thought in our schools. And self-learning is non-existent. This just doesn't exist. Self-learning, it's, it's now you're going to learn how the teacher teaches you. And the pressure on teachers to get this right and the responsibility on them is horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And as soon as governments start taking education off the political agenda, the better this, this nation will be. We'll have more creativity going on because the teachers will be released to be creative. I won't do it. I'll have my little boy at home and we will feed his hunger. And through that, he will find his niche that he wants to have in life. I love what Rosie said when she was up here preaching. She said of her little girls, her little girls, Dora and Hannah, she said, I want them to know that they're loved, first and foremost, and then I want them to be happy. What more could a parent want? You won't find that in schools. Very rarely, if we took a consensus now, how many people enjoyed their time at school? Put your hands up. How many people here really enjoyed their time at school? One. She's a scientist. No. Two. Be, be honest. How many people didn't enjoy their time at school? The majority. The majority of us. So that proves a point, doesn't it? Yeah, when, when we have been through, and I've been through the education system, and you've been through the education system, and do you know what? It's never changed. In 150 years, education has never changed. So why are we taking our children 
that is the treasure of our lives, the pearl of our existence, and putting them in with the dirt. Why are we doing it? Because we become a nanny state. If parents are out working, then they can earn bucks and they can pay taxes and, and all this. Yet, if you, I'm telling you, you have home-educated kids. There'll be three free-thinking children. Absolutely, that will grow into three free-thinking adults. And they will, will go further and excel much more in a variety of different situations than you'll have a kid coming out of school at the age of 16. I've told you, if you don't believe me, go and have a look at a guy well-known, Sir Kenneth Robinson. Sir Ken Robinson, an amazing, amazing educationalist. Go onto, the, onto Google, Google his name, and you'll have loads of YouTube stuff. Look at what he's saying. And he was on Tony Blair when Tony Blair came into power in the late 1990s. And uh, Ken Robinson was, was then the director of education at Warwick University. And he was on the think tank of education for Tony Blair. But it was so far out there, Tony Blair said, that will not get me elected for a second term. And so Ken Robinson left. Left it all and then he went across the states. But just have a look at it. But this is what is the part of Satan's plan to corrupt our youth for tomorrow's future and their future. And I totally, totally, totally believe that Nebuchadnezzar saw this. And what he did is he corrupted and he taught these young men coming in, and young women as well, young men and women coming into his courts that they had to be the best, but only the best through what he taught them so they could serve him. And we see that in Daniel 4, verse 30. It says, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? See, when you look into Nebuchadnezzar, he was a total, total megalomaniac. And he was a so egotistical it was unbelievable so I had to look up those words thinking well you know what do they actually mean megalomania is, is a psychiatrist term a symptom of mental illness marked with delusions of greatness wealth an obsession with doing extravagant or grand things that pretty well sums Nebuchadnezzar up he did nothing unless it was big or extravagant an egotistic is to give to talking about oneself Vain, boastful, opinionated, indifferent to the well-being of others, incredibly selfish. So I'm going to have a look at four ways that Nebuchadnezzar took away the identity of young people, but also the same ways that the devil has used this same thing and has corrupted our youth today. Number one, isolation. See, Daniel was taken away from everything he knew and he was totally isolated from any contact with his homeland. You know, and, and, I, and I just see that, that our kids now have got no identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're meant to be. And they feel, if you talk to a lot of young people, they feel incredibly isolated. And this is, by the way, this is the same thing, four things if you want to recognize um, or the way that cults, will completely and utterly 
um, do exactly the same thing. They will isolate people from their families and they will tell them that they have not allowed to have any contact with their families. And we see that now. And do you know what? I don't see too much difference in church. All we're doing is teaching kids how to be like us in church. That's all we're doing. Where's the creativity? Where's, where's the, the, the absolute abandoned dancing? Where's the, the, the spirit-filled kids coming up to the front and giving prophetic words? Where is all this? It's coming. That's what the Lord showed me on Wednesday. It's going to come. We're going to have kids so full and pounded together of all the, the fruits of the spirit but with the gifts of the spirit. They're going to get up and they're going to start prophesying. And it'll be the very words of God coming from their little mouths. I'm telling you, this is happening. Do you know, and it's about time that we start teaching our kids in church how to be live, live by the word and in the word of God. We don't do it. We teach them verses so they can recite them. But we do we teach them how to live it. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live as if I've been crucified. And I, you know, teach them how to live it, not recite it. Teach them how to live it. You can have a hundred verses um, completely remembered, but if you're not living it, it ain't worth nothing. It, be, it would be better not to start it. Better not to start it. They've got to start, we've got to start teaching our young people the word of God and how to live in it. And the second thing, most important thing, what we've got to start teaching our kids is to have relationship. Face to face, unveiled faces with the living Lord Jesus Christ. They've got to learn how to walk in the Spirit. They've got to learn how to talk in the Spirit. They've got to learn how to position themselves for a, a visitation from the Lord. And we're not teaching our kids that. We're not teaching the kids. Do you know, we, Heidi and I, we spend most of the time talking to Joshua, saying, Joshua, you know, you can, you can meet Jesus tonight. And he, he'll wake up and he'll say, I didn't see Jesus last night. He's hopeful. He's already expectant. Why? Because his parents have opened the door to that, to that reality. That reality. And most of us in churches are shut down to that reality. Why? Because it ain't logical. It's not logical. That's the way I, we've been taught in education. If you cannot prove it, then it ain't logical. So it shuts the door to this. Maybe it just shows that I wasn't very well educated. Because when, when that door was open to me, I just flew through it. And I just want more of it. I really, you know... And we've got to start teaching our kids to do this. You know, I, I'm absolutely passionate about that. Absolutely passionate about it. But we don't want to just teach them what we've been doing for the last 40 years. Because it ain't worked. It isn't worked. And don't bring children to the church to expect the church to teach them. They will get most of their learning by watching their parents. That's where they will get most of their learning by watching their parents. Our kids in church, it's almost like it's somebody else's responsibility to teach them. That ain't so. And the other thing that I think we're letting our kids down is what I mentioned last week. We brought our kids to be entertained by church. Let's do messy church. 
because it entertains the kids and the kids in there for, a, for an hour or two. It's, it's a great idea, don't get me wrong, it's a great idea. But I'd rather I let them paint for Jesus. <laughs> Teach them to paint out the spirit like the Echianas and we've got to start raising up the Echianas. And if you don't know who Echiana is, Google her name and find out. This young girl, very young girl from the age of five was taken up to heaven and the Lord said, if I show you how to paint, paint what I show you. And she did. A most amazing, you know, paintings and the most incredible poetry. And do you know what they also do? One of the things that uh, uh, youth are isolated from is old people. Old people. And old people should be giving their experiences, their good, their bad, and their ugly experiences, and allowing young people to learn from them. I would love my father to be able to sit down with my son and tell him all about what he experienced through the Second World War. That he stood up when a whole generation of young people stood up to stop this evil coming on the world. And a lot of them died. My father could not talk about one of the, one of the things, the campaigns in Italy, um, uh, Seville, where um, he lost a lot of his friends. They flew off from the aircraft carrier and a lot of them never came back. Bomber command. You know, our young people don't realize that the survival rate in bomber commands are aircrafts that were took off from Lincolnshire. Not, you know, not, not a thousand miles away. Took off from these airfields. And these were young 18 and 19 and 20 year olds. Took off from our airfields. And do you know what the, the death rate was? 90%. If we sent our boys to Afghanistan and they were having 90% casualties, they'd be brought back wouldn't they? But then we isolate our youth from the wisdom and the experience of older people. Totally. Totally. I wish old people, or, old, or the elder, the elder people of our churches would sit down with the youth and tell them all about their mistakes. Tell them how they would do things differently. And then they would really listen to that. Really listen to it. But then you could also tell them about the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living that you've experienced. How much God has really blessed you, even through the difficult things that you've been through. They could learn a wealth of experience, but we isolate them from it. Here's another one. Easy. Indoctrination. Nebuchadnezzar did it. Daniel 1, verse 4. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick understanding, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. See, they would just indoctrinate these young people with their, with their methods, their learning, their, this is the way that we do, this is it. Yeah, and we see no different today in our schools. I class our schools a bit like indoctrination. You'll only do it this way. You'll do phonics. You'll learn, you know, you'll learn your, your, your uh, words by phonics. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Works for some, but it doesn't work for others. We're going to all teach you maths. Well, actually, what happens if I want to be a ballerine dancer? Not me personally. I don't think I'd quite suit a tutu. You know, or, you know, I don't know if I'd be able to do my, I don't know what you call them. But anyway, but do you know, what happens if that, that isn't your, 
How many people have, have used on a daily basis your maths? Oh, you do. You do. It teaches all of it. How many people? Okay, we have two people here that say they use it on a daily basis. I use arithmetic. I use adding. I use subtracting. I use division and uh, times table. And I still don't know my times table to this day, but I try. I use my fingers even more. And my, when I run out of fingers, I use my toes. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely useless at maths. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely, I am useless at maths. But I can add quite quickly, and I've got, you know, I've got a thing for that. But the fact is, what happens if our kids aren't interested in that? And they want to play the oboe, or they want to be a musician, or they want to be a drummer, or they want to be a techie. They want to, be, you know, do that sort of thing. People don't want to learn about kings and queens. If that isn't their interest. You know, just feed the interest of our youth, and we'll see an explosion of creativity and entrepreneurship. This is what I love. Oh, crikey, indoctrination. Here's one. It made me laugh, and I thought, well, even I laughed at my own joke when I did this. We have so many pagan influences on our young people that we don't even realize it. Pagan influences. You know, what's all that Halloween about? It's an indoctrination of witchcraft on our young people. And we, we just happen to use, you know, sweets as a, come here, little child. We're just going to indoctrinate you into witchcraft. What's that about? Here's another one. We never told, we got, I've been, I got into so much trouble because we refused, Hardy and I refused to lie to Joshua. So we weren't going to start that by telling him there was this mystical thing called Father Christmas. But it came from a pagan practice. It came from a completely demonic, completely paganistic in all of its entirety. But we refused to indoctrinate our child through Father Christmas. But have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought, okay, little girl, little Johnny, little, little whatever, uh, Diane, um, tonight you're going to have a strange man come into your room. He's going to come into your room. He's going to already have drunk daddy's whatever he's left out. He's eaten mummy's mince pies and he's come to see you. And yet we tell our kids not to speak to strangers. How, how, how is, how, you tell me, where's the logic in that? You tell me how we are trying to tell our kids that we cannot have anybody in our houses, but we're telling about this mystical man that comes down the chimney and he comes into your room when he's asleep. Freaks the kids out. Freaks them out. I used to hide a sheath knife, literally hide a sheath knife underneath my bed because it used to terrify me. If this guy in a beard comes to me, he better, better watch out. I mean, I was only a little boy, but I would stab him. He ain't coming near me. I don't care whether he's bearing presents. It terrifies some kids. But yet we've indoctrinated our kids. It's all right. Our Easter bunnies. Our Easter little bunnies and our little chocolate eggs. And, and isn't it nice about these little fluffy bunnies and these lovely painted eggs. and Mmm, we'll stuff them full of chocolate. But if you knew where the start of the real Christmas, we can go into the whole thing of Easter and Esther and, and all of that. And, but the, do you know where the real one came from? It came from Babylon. It came from Ishtar. Ishtar. And at Easter, that time, that season of Easter, Ishtar Easter, 
where the rise of Tammuz, which was uh, uh, the whole thing of a moon egg that Ishtar would, it was a she-god, would rise up this time and she would go up to to the moon with a moon egg and uh, the most um, demonic influence, we can read about it in Genesis, Nimrod was the father of Tammuz and it was this whole fertilization of a, a moon egg that was given to Ishtar and Ishtar brought forth this, this child called Tammuz. And that's where Easter comes from. That's where we get the Easter egg. It's a holy, demonic activity. Holy, demonic. And we pay homage to it every year without fail. We don't. We don't have, we don't, we celebrate the Passover. Absolutely. But you know, do you know, Nimrod was the father of this, this birthing of this egg, of this moon egg. And uh, they birthed Tammuz. And Nimrod was known, and you can read about Nimrod in Genesis. Nimrod is mentioned in Genesis, who became the sun god. And who's the sun god? Baal. 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 So every Christmas when we get those nice eggs out, we're worshipping the devil. Baal. Every Easter. And do you know how Ishtar is um, remembered now? Queen of the heaven. Queen of the heaven. And she was, has just got this sign where she is holding a baby in heaven in her arms. What does that remind you of? Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God. And the fact is that we're now, every prayer that is offered to the, the mother of Jesus, Mary, is offered now to this queen of the skies, queen of Ishtar. Those, 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 all those prayers that are offered up in all sincerity are completely demonic. They're captured in the demonic realm. You know, and, and, and we've got to understand all of this. You see, it's got nothing. You, know, you can read some people saying, this is all about the resurrection of Jesus. It has got nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing at all. Otherwise, they're indoctrinated. Just go on the medias. Media, the internet, the social media that kids are on, even TV, mobiles. This is all indoctrination into the knowledge of men. And it's done them no good. You look at, you tell, you tell, in fact, if you, got out, if you got out your mobiles now and I gave you a question, you would find the answer to that question in a nanosecond by just going on a search engine. Do you know that from, from, King Ed, from, from King George VI, from King George VI, right the way down to Egbert, the first Saxon king. Most kids now can bring out their, their, their phones and have more information on that phone than all of these kings and queens right the way down from, from King George VI down to the first Saxon king of Egbert have more information in the palm of their hand. And what good has it done? absolutely right what good has it done it's not there to make our kids any smarter because what they're being filled with is this gnosis this Greek word gnosis which is the knowledge of men I want my little boy to grow up in epinosis the knowledge of the spirit I want him to know the spirit more than he knows any knowledge of man 
I want him to grow up knowing that, that he can have access to the deep secrets of the very creation that God created. That's the sort of knowledge that I want him to have. That's the sort of knowledge that we should be teaching our young people. We encourage, with home education, creativity like there's no tomorrow. Just be creative, Joshua. You can do anything you want for this next hour, but you just be creative in anything that you want to do. And if he wants to pick up a book and read, he can pick up a book and read. If he wants to paint a picture or do some, he can do that. He can go on the iPad and look at some sort of creative game that's building with blocks. And te- He is brilliant at that. Absolutely brilliant at patterns and putting things together. Brilliant. Because he's thinking creatively. I've never taught him how to do it because I can't do it. I can't. Neither can Heidi. But he has just done it by accessing And I'll tell you what else you're going to do. You're going to create leaders. We lack strong, good leaders. And young kids that go through home education, it sounds like I'm a home ed freak. I am. I make no bones about it. But they will be free free thinkers and they will have this leadership. But I want a man and a girl, a little boy and a little girl, growing up as leadership but with godly character in them godly character running right through the core of everything they believe and everything that they are. Their identity can only be found when they are found by the Lord Jesus Christ. I had no identity apart from the identity of a thug and the identity of a rugby player. That was my identity before the Lord found me. Then all of my identity now is in him. First and foremost, absolutely no And do you know what we've inducted our educational system with? Listen to this. This frightened me. Political correctness. Political correctness. We're not allowed now in the laws of this land to challenge sin. What we've done is we've called good evil and evil good. Adultery. It's now called, it's politically correct not to call it adultery, as it says in the word. It's now an extramarital affair. That's all right, darling. I've just had an extra marital affair. It sounds quite nice, doesn't it? But how devastating. Actually, my love, I've just committed adultery. And I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And I promise I'll turn away. I will never go back to that, that puddle of vomit. I never want to return to it. So I had a look at a few of these things. Homosexuality, political correctness is an alternative lifestyle. Bisexual, sexually non-preferential. This is the one I liked. Drunk or intoxicated, spatially perplexed. And then I found some other ones that were quite disgusting. Everyday words that we would use of how it's been so twisted that I can't even... I've written them down just to remind myself. And there were a couple that I'd never heard of. I thought I was a man of the world, but there was a couple there I'd never heard of. I'll just share one. one, A bug chaser. What does that conjure up? A bug chaser. A little kid probably chasing bugs. Oh, no. It's basically that's a word now being used that Heidi's looking at me really worried now. (laughs) She knows what I'm going to say. I hope I'm, you know, this is going deeper stuff, aren't we? So you've got to be aware of this sort of thing, is 
Heidi and I first came across this sort of thing about three years ago. And uh, a bug chaser is a person now of a homosexual who will chase out and find people who have got HIV and ask them to give it to them. And that's now known as a bug chaser. And they call the, the, the person with HIV the gift giver. The person that can give this young person a gift of HIV. And these are terms now that are well used, well known. There are some others that I, I really can't even go down. Anyway, just take it a little bit funnier. Being bald. Sorry for anybody. Sorry, Steve. Follically challenged. This one I liked. Obnoxious. Charismatically impeded. Ugly. Attractively impaired. I like this one. Drug addict. Chemically challenged. You see, what we've got is a Babylonian system that we're living in instead of a godly system. And this is why we see that this whole society that we live in, I've got no fear of God. Why? Because God has got no influence in society. But that's about to change. We're going to have a body of people in this place that are going to be so absolutely having a bit of backbone like Daniel where we stand up and say, actually, evil is evil and God is good. And there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a body of people that have to stand up and have to be counted, just like Daniel. And even if it makes us unpopular, even if it puts us in prison, even if some of us lose our lives, somebody has got to stand up and say these things. We've got to start coming from the word of God instead of coming out from this world of Babylon. We've got to start absolutely making a stand on this and saying no more. Absolutely no more. And compromise. Number three, Daniel appoints them a daily portion or provision of God of the king's delicacies and of wine which he drank and three, and three years of training for them so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. This is the whole thing of compromise. We will take you out, we'll take you away, but we're going to give you the best. We're going to give you absolutely the best. You're going to have three years of university where you, all your fees are going to be paid. You're going to live in luxury. You are not going to have a want. You're not going to have a need. Everything is going to be catered for. Where do you want me to sign? If I was a young person looking for university these days, where do you want me to sign? I'll have that. But it will make you compromise everything that you believe. Everything you believe in. Everything that you are. And this is why Nebuchadnezzar did this, but why? He trying to seduce these young people into the good life, that they'll have not a need. And they had the finest that Babylon could offer. You couldn't go anywhere in the civilized world at that time and be offered anything finer than the riches of Babylon. <coughs> Excuse me. It's no different today. Our advertising tells us that we can have the best. We deserve the finest. We deserve the newest, the biggest, the flashiest model that is on. Last year's model is no good. We need today's model. You give a kid a telephone from last, last year, the, the, the iPhone 3, and it's been replaced now, I don't know, the Generation 5 or something. I haven't got a clue. I've got a, a Generation 1 iPhone that I've had for years. 
Or was it two? I haven't, I, I haven't got a clue what it is. Okay, Heidi does. She, but, you know, but you know, you're told that you can have, you're entitled to having the next generation iPad. In fact, you deserve it. You're, you're entitled to get rid of that rubbishy old car that you drive that's a bit rickety and it's a bit old and it's a bit outdated. You're entitled now and it'll only cost you £150 a week. You can have the best. Oh, and, and we'll put petrol on it for the next three years and we'll pay you insurance. But that's already built into the price that you're paying anyway. But this is what advertising does. It says to us, it's a propaganda that you deserve the best. That you and your family can have the best. And what happens if you haven't got the best? You'll go out and get it. By hook or by crook. You'll go out and get it. It amazes me when I... No, I won't go down that. It's just I want to stay on this. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to give these young people the best so that they would never, ever want to go back from where they came from. Never want to return. You know, and this is why we should never give our children the best. I thought about this. Why wouldn't I want to give Joshua the best? I want him to give him the best of me. I want to give him the best love from a parent or from his father. That's what I want to give Joshua, the best of me. But I don't want to give him the best because why? He'll expect it all the time. And if he gets the best all the time, he's not going to appreciate it. He won't put any value in it. And the other lesson that he will have is that because he hasn't had to pay for it, he won't value it either. I'm telling you, if we took a lot of our youth out to Africa in the places that we've visited, places that we've gone, and we took them out to those villages and we left them for three weeks or three days or even a night, they would come back, they would get off the plane and they would kiss the ground that they were walking on in the UK. And they would go back and they would kiss their mummy and daddy and they'll say, I am so sorry. So sorry. Because one toy will last one little boy in Africa all of his life. That's all he'll ever get. Just look at, you know, Israel in the desert. They were marching around in the desert. It was hot and everything. But within weeks, in fact, within days, they were demanding to go back to uh, Egypt. They wanted the garlic. They wanted the onions. They wanted the, the good things of, of whatever came out of Egypt, yet they were bound in slavery. They still wanted to go back. Unbelievable. It hasn't changed. I hate waste. I cannot stand waste. I can't stand waste on a plate. I don't care who it is. I can't stand it. So I went on to the um, secular websites. It wouldn't be Christian, so I couldn't be um, saying I'm giving misinformation. But this is why I hate it. This is from the World Food Programme in the United Nations. That over one third of the world is going to go hungry tonight. Six billion people. And two billion of them are going to go hungry tonight as we sit here. One third have drunk polluted water today. So as you've gone up to your tap and you've swilled out the glass and thrown that water down there, that would give sustenance to a child drinking dirty water full of crap. 5,000 5, children die a day in this world. That's 3.4 million die each year of not having enough to eat or not drinking enough. 780 million lack access to clean water. 780 million 
lack access to clean water. That's two and a half times the population of, of, of uh, the United States. 842 million people do not have enough to eat. Poor nutrition. This is the one that made me cry. Poor nutrition causes nearly half. That's 45% of deaths in young children under the age of five. Over 50% of young kids under the age of five now die of poor nutrition. 66 million, that's the population and over the population of the UK. 66 million young children go to school now hungry in our world. And people why? People ask me why I get passionate when I see food being wasted. It drives me absolutely ballistic. I can't stand it. Take a bite and put it down. That's all right, because there's more coming. I hate it. I can't, I can't stand when we make Joshua a cacao in a hot chocolate. And we make it for him and he drinks two mouthfuls and then it gets thrown down because he, he forgets about it. We've stopped that. We're now saying to him, if you don't eat it, you don't get this. You don't do that. We're now disciplining him in that because of this. But you know what? Daniel and his friends refused to compromise any form in any matter through the little things and the big things. Confusion, so confusion, number four, so confusion into young people. And what do we do? Change the names. What did Hitler do to take away the identity and so confusion into the Jews? Took away their name and tattooed, to, tattooed them with a number. Totally sows confusion, lack of identity. And this is why I got on to looking at Daniel. Would, would you know who Hananiah was, or Mishael, or Zephariah? Would you know who those people were, if I was to tell you, ask you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yet we know them by the devil names that they have, and this is going to actually alarm you. I did a study on this. Daniel, anything with E-L at the end of it means God in Israeli, in Hebrew. Anything with I, I-A-H means Yahweh. So Hananiah, higher, that's Yahweh. And so Daniel's name was judge of God. Hananiah was God is favoured. Michel, or Michael, is who is like God. Azariah, God will help. And when you have a look at their names that they were given, Belshazzarah, that was Daniel, the God who protects, but he's actually the God of violence. Shadrach was Hananiah, the command of the God moon, or the moon God, and I'm going to explain these. Meshach, um, Michel, Michel, Michael, is Meshach, who is like the moon God. And Azariah was Abednego, servant of Nebo. And if we have a look at the Babylonian, right, anything with Bel, like Belshazzarah, Bel means Baal, devil. Devil. It's the devil of violence. That's what Daniel was called, was the devil of violence. The moon god, the Shadrach and, and Meshach, or Hananiah and Michael, they were known as the commander of the moon god and who was like the moon god. Who was the moon god? Do you know what another name for it was? Allah. 
Allah, the crescent moon. It's the crescent moon God. And Nebo is the God of wisdom. And Islam, you know, it's the same as the, the, the same God of Babylon. It's Islam. It's the same God. Absolutely the same God. The God of violence, the God of the moon, the crescent moon. Allah, who is all-knowing and all-wise. Or as it says, one of his names is the perfectly wise one. That's Nebo. God of wisdom. The perfectly wise one. The Allah that sees all and is perfectly wise. And that's why when you are a convert to Islam, you immediately change your name. One of the most famous ones that I know of, the most famous one of my generation, is Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay. He said, I will ditch my, uh, my slave name and I'll take up the name of my God, Muhammad Ali. The greatest fighter that has ever walked this planet. And this is what I did for today's age, today's youth, looking at converts of Muhammad Ali. If I was to say, I can't pronounce these names very well, but if I was to say Michael Abengileo and Michael Abuela, would that make any sense to you? They were the two killers that killed Lee Rigby, Fusilier Lee Rigby. Michael both names Michael. E-L, like God. Like God. They were, both, they were both Nigerian. They were both brought up in very strong Christian homes. They were absolutely devoted Christians in their youth. But in their teens, something went wrong. Something went wrong. But in the trial... Abilajo said, I am a soldier of Allah. This is war. And his name, they became Mujadid Hamaz and Ishmael Abdul. Gave themselves completely Islamic names. And I thought, well, Lord, where is this coming from? And then the Lord gave me this verse, Genesis 16, 12. He shall be called a wild man. This is God talking of Ishmael. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. And you've got a population of something like 30 or 300 million surrounding Israel with a population of 6 million. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. You see, what's permeated our youth is two predominant th things, ways of things, ways of thoughts, is that we've gone onto man's thoughts instead of to God's thoughts. And we've done brainwashing like never before. We see that from Daniel 1, verses 4 and 5, the brainwashing of a generation. But we see Daniel rising up with an iron will of purpose from Daniel 1, verses 8 to 16, and this is what I call the real purpose-driven life. Who's read the book, Purpose-Driven Life? Yeah. I, I mean, I... Yeah. Um, I, 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 I,
But this is the real purpose-driven life that Daniel is showing us. But Daniel, verse 8, verse 8 in chapter 1, but Daniel purposed, this is the purpose-driven life, purposing in the heart what he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And then he says, please, in verse 12, please test your servants for, for, for 10 days and let them give us vegetables eat and water to drink. That word vegetables is a very, very bad translation. Do you know what he requested to eat? It was pulses, beans, beans mixed up and ground into a paste in a pestle and mortar. Just ground up and put a bit of water in it and he said, we'll, we'll eat that. We'll eat that. And then test us. See who looks the, the, uh, the better looking. So these pulses, these beans were mashed up. And that is the true Daniel fast. Anybody that says now, well, I'm going on a Daniel fast, I'm going to eat fruit and vegetables, I'll say no. Go and get your red beans, your other be- baked beans, your lentils, things, mash them up, put a bit of flavoring and eat that for 21 days. That's the true translation. And just water. Just water. But you know what? What, the, what was the king's food? The king's food, the delicacy on the king's table was pork. And Daniel as a Jew knew that he couldn't eat pork. So he said, right from the word go, I ain't eating that. I'd rather eat the worst of the worst. I'd rather eat pulses and beans. But I know that my God will honour me. I know that my God will, will see me through this, through thick or thin. And Daniel and his friends purpose within their hearts to live their lives and not turn their back on their God. So in the first testing about eating the, the king's delicacies and his wine, they said no water and pulses for me I like Jonathan Edwards Jonathan Edwards you know just read about him if you don't know about him but he wrote out 79 resolutions of his life that this is the way that he would live his life as a Christian I wrote down the first four bring glory to God in all you do number one number two live a justified life number three never give up to personal sin even if it occasionally wins I like that one never be afraid to act on your guardy beliefs even more as you see this day approaching the end times. Daniel's resolution was very similar. I will never defile myself or fall into the ways of Babylon, whichever, whatever way it happened to me, and the God will always be the number one in my life, and I will follow him all my days, even if it costs me my very life. That was his purpose, driven life. He had no compromise, no matter what he did. And do you know what? That's what we've got to start living. That's what we've got to start doing. We have far too much confidence in ourselves. Daniel had no confidence in himself, but he had a confidence in God. Total, unswayable conviction that God would show up no matter what happens. So Daniel had no confidence in his own abilities, but he had a total confidence in God working out his perfect plan in his life. So my thought is this, if we're in God's perfect will, then we can rest assured that no matter what we do, God is out for us. He will provide. He will make sure that we have every provision for what we need to get through that day. Are we in his perfect time? Are we in his perfect will? And if we are, then we can have total confidence in who he is. Job was the same. 
went through incredible hardships in his life, but never gave up on God. I love this. So what was Daniel's first test? We've just read it. So my question is this. Do we do this with our own food? Do we say to God, do we pray, thank you, God, for our daily portion? Thank you for everything that I eat today. Thank you, Lord, that you give me the ability to earn and put food on my table. Thank you, Lord. I'm asking you now to bless everything that I eat, and I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, that I can go up to a clean tap and put water in my cup and drink it. I thank you, Lord, that I can go up to my kettle and put it on and have a nice hot brew. I thank you, Lord, that I can switch the electricity on in my house and the light, light bulb works. I thank you, Lord, for everything that you provide for me today. Do we do that continually? Do we give thanks to God for everything that we have? All the good things of this life? Thank you, God, for the roof that you put over my head. Thank you, Lord. Do you pray over your finances every month? Heidi and I have started doing it. I pray over my finances at the beginning of the month, and I say thank you, Lord, for all of my finances, even if there's nothing there. I thank you, God, that through my finances that I'm going to be able to pay for this and pay for that because, Lord, you want the best for me. You And I pray over them. And, I, and that's what we should be doing over every penny we get in with bushfire. We sometimes do it. We sometimes forget. But we need to do it more. But do you pray over your finances? Do you pray over your food? Not just say, Lord, bless it to my body. He gave it to you, so it's going to bless your body. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings in my life. This is my prayer and for the food on my table because without it, me and my family would not very live very long. And I thank you for all, all your daily portions that you provide. Daniel 17 to 21. Daniel 1, 17, 21. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. See, this is the result. When you honor God, God will honor you. When Daniel made that stance, I will not eat the, the, the portion of the king's meat or drink from his table. God honored those four young men. And we see that from Daniel 4, 17 to 21. As for these, God gave them knowledge. God gave them the epinosis knowledge and the skill in all literature and wisdom. Not man, but God did. God and Daniel had understanding in all visions and all dreams. You can't Get that from a textbook. You have to get that from God showing you. Now, at the end of the days, when the kings had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among them all found, all, all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Michael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding. Just read Isaiah 11, verse 2. The seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better than all the musicians, magicians, all the astrologers who were in his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until this first year to King Cyrus, the last king. Daniel had this throughout the whole of his 70 years of living in Babylon. He served for four kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Sarius. For, four, for 70 years, he served the Lord, reaching these men of their greatest and highest power that ever lived. And he never, ever compromised once. 
never compromised once. But God gave him every blessing from on high to him to get him through those 70 years. Truly, absolutely amazing. I was thinking, well, Lord, where's that in the New Testament? And the only person I could think of was John, the Apostle John. It's the only person I could think of throughout the whole of the, Old, of the New Testament that might be like Daniel. Might be like Daniel. And the result is that he was healthier, fitter, and had the epinosis knowledge of God. And he appeared ten times brighter and finer than all the other men and, men and women you know, and I think Daniel passed the initial test. He may have remembered Isaiah 3, verse 4, which says, I will give the children to be their princes, and the babe shall rule over them. Because Daniel, because he never questioned why, he never complained, he knew that he was in the perfect will of God, that he was to reach four men of the highest renown, the, the most powerful men of, of his time through 70 years, he would reach every one of them. Do you want to know the secrets of a true successful life from the book of Daniel? Trust everything to God. Trust him. Number two, don't complain. Don't complain. Trust God and don't complain. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, one of my favorite ones. Trust the Lord in all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will give you direction in all your paths. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That's the verse we should be living from. Trusting God in everything. And we will see such a positive side of everything, no matter what we go through, because we will see the bigger picture of our lives. I'm going to finish. Have you ever thought about Matthew 2? Matthew 2, where Jesus is born, Three wise men. They were called Magi, Magi, however you want to. They were the, the Chaldeans from Daniel's time. They came from Babylon. And it makes you wonder what on earth made these three men come with the gifts they bore. It was a direct result of Daniel and his three friends. Daniel taught the Magi in Babylon. And there must have been a writing which said, when you see these planets arise in this way and you see these stars and the moon's going to be there and, this, and you're going to see this constellation and a bright northern light will rise up, follow it. Wherever it stops, you will find the king or the saviour of this world. And these are the three gifts you are to give them. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold is a, is a, is a symbol of kingship on earth also symbolizes virtue. Frankincense. It's an incense, but it's a symbol of priesthood. In other words, it's, it's also symbolizing prayer. And myrrh, I love this one. It's an embalming oil. It's the symbol of death. Also symbolizing suffering. So you've got the royal priesthood, the king of kings, the royal priesthood who was to suffer and to die so that we might be forgiven. And it was years later that Daniel and his three friends had such an impact on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and you, could, you can just imagine up in heaven when Jesus was being born and God turning around to Daniel and his three friends and saying, now do you understand why I sent you there? You're part and parcel of bringing this onto the earth. You share in the same glory. Isn't it amazing? Shouldn't this be our lives? Shouldn't we be reflecting the Lord in everything that we do? And even if we go through trials, even if we go through the tribulations and the great tribulation, we've got to bring honor to God. And we should always have faith and trust in God in both the big and the small things of our lives. Got on for an hour and ten minutes. A lot to get through. But this is basically setting up the whole picture of Daniel. Daniel never compromised. Daniel wouldn't move to the left or the right. He would set himself up by first asking God to bless the food that he ate and not compromise on it. And we're going to see the dreams that he, next, you know, next uh, chapter, we're going to have a look at the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the impact that it has on us, you know, the, the, the revelation that's in that. We're going to have a look at that. But my challenge to you is this. Live for the Lord, first and foremost. Just live for him in everything that you do. And do you know the great thing about God is if you fail, you get to sit the test again. And if you fail that test, you get to sit it again. And if you fail that one, because there isn't any failure in God. And boy, can I speak from my heart in that. I have been probably tested in every fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, you know, you go right the way through it. But I'm determined, determined to beat this test, to win, to acknowledge it. I came here on Wednesday night and I said, oh, I feel really dreadful. He says, no, you don't. You're full of the Holy Spirit. I said, I'm full of cold and cough. And Sheila goes, no, you're not. You're full of the Holy Spirit. And I got back in my car, Sheila, and I drove back and I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive, forgive me for the words that I speak because I am truly full of you, Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray now, everybody hearing my voice, Lord, let us live as Daniel, that there is no compromise. No matter what we are asked to do, we have total faith that, Lord, that we're in it for the bigger picture. No matter what. And, Lord, for those of us who've got children, we just commit our, the ways of our children to you now. Lord, let the parents, let me and Heidi as parents, be real examples to our children. And let the grandparents in this place be examples to their grandchildren. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask a question? Does that make any sense to you? Does that help you? Is it? Yeah. I, mean, I just, you know, I don't want to be doing something that, you know, I feel this is what the Lord has called us to do is to go through Daniel and have more understanding. It will pick up pace. It'll have, you know, but what I wanted to try and parallel is the fact that there is more significance on Daniel's book to us today. And just the first chapter just sets up the rest of the, the, the 11 book, the 11 chapters that we're going to read. Is it a help? Because sometimes people look at you and they go, <laughs> and you're thinking, is it going in, Lord? I know sometimes Heidi and I know sometimes Trevor think that with worship. You know, when you're singing and you're... Th- 
Because it isn't easy. It isn't easy. And there I am asking the Lord to bless us with food and I'm hungry and my brother gets out. Has anyone, has anyone got any questions or thoughts? Shall we get this on tape? Here we go, Peter. Does anybody want to ask something whilst Peter's getting stuff out of the bag? June? Sorry, June, June you've, you've missed your chance now, Peter. <laughs> He's uh, coming back to you. You know, you said about that kind of a dream thing you had a few nights ago. Um, and I thought, as you, sp- this, you, you said, there was going to be things put in our hands uh, that we should be able to uh, use. Yep. And straight away I thought about David couldn't operate in the armour of Saul. He had to have, and, and a sword, etc. he had to have the things thing that he, that he could use, which yeah. was a sling and stones. You see, we have to, and God knew that. So we need to be, you know, endued from on high yeah. and not something else stuffed in our way. And, you know, That's i.e., uh, armour that didn't, obviously didn't fit him and uh, it wasn't used to. So, and that's an encouragement to think that we're going to get stuff that God knows we need yep. to, 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 uh, to, to fulfill the calling on our lives. That's right. And also, the other one was, um, is Islam teachers, like you said, the Hitler youth, get them young. Well, Islam, the moment they're literally starting to walk, they're dressed up as suicide bombers, etc., and they're yep. in... It's in the school books to hate, hate the Jews and, yeah. you know, be terrorists and fight. <laughs> it's got this real anger and in, sown into them from very, very small. Yeah. And, um, and also, on the saying about teaching children, I thought about that scripture. Teach the children the way they should go, and when they grow up, they will not depart from it. And... Uh, and also, another thought was, Moses spoke to God face to face, panim, panim. Most kids, you know, that includes my grandkids, when I've gone round, they're on the cell phones and screens. I mean, I don't, I'm not up, I just know they're staring into something. I don't know the actual names of them because they, they just, I don't even pursue them. But they're there, and you and often got ear things in. So there's no way you can communicate with them. There's no way, and this I know it's the enemy. And even I take my granddaughter's dog in the week, and even a beautiful days, lovely dogs, and what have you. And yet nine times out of the ten, the ones that was walking, the dog owners or whatever they call them, they're there with either on the earphone or got something in. They are totally oblivious to what's around them. You can't communicate. They have to take something out if you get their attention. Well, this is it. It's Satan that's himself, isn't he? I, you yeah. spoke about isolation, and that's what it was. Yeah, brilliant. Anybody else? Here we go. Can you keep it short, Peter? Yeah, I'll keep it a bit short. I'll come to a few points now. Political, um, do you know, like, politics, do you know, like, everything's governed by politics, isn't it? How, how, how we live, quality of life we have. Yeah, All these things, rough. money in his pocket. Yeah. I think I said a bit about this before, but I want to expand upon it. It seems like all this has been run by Antichrist, in a way. 
You know what I mean? Said it, it's there for well, the Antichrist to step on. I don't it? think. I think God's association with our lives running, quality of life, hang on. I always get some, something like that. Let me just turn this off a minute. Turn it off. <laughs> There's my mother that. I'm, Bless I'm her. Gonna, gonna Bless her, Lord. But I'm saying, the way in which we live, yep. you know, the way we're living, yep. you know, we, we all need money in pockets, right, Andy, don't we? We yeah, all that's need right. money, right? That is um, devised and authority given by the government, right? But that isn't God's law. No. It's, it's absolute opposite of God's law. Absolutely, yeah. You know, absolute opposite of God's law. And these things we're living by, um, by money in his pocket and decisions, uh, you know, are... Everything we do in life yep. is governed by the political system. It's anti-opposite of what God stands for. Totally agree. Absolute opposite. So it's time that's eliminated that and meet what God... I think God would be Not eliminate, but we it's, it's no, time that we... No, I think we do need to eliminate it. Well, no, we need to like, pray. No we used to pray, well, you need to pray in no godly men and women. You know, Absolutely. You know, but I think God, God is saying, in my heart, he's saying... When, when this is eliminated, and they, you know, there'll be a lot more things to be revealed, like, and uh, which we all need to it to ourselves. Yeah. We're part of these miracles, our living selves. We owe it to ourselves to bring what should be about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I, why I agree. Stop, you know, I agree that. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I do. I think that we need to be praying in godly men and women to go to Parliament, to be our representations of bringing in godly things instead of this world system that's been set up. Anybody else? Anybody else got anything they want to say? Um, I think it's really nice that God, God did a, a treasure hunt because um, we know children love playing hide and seek and they love treasure hunts and children love looking for things. And I just think mm. it's really nice that God did a treasure hunt with um, Daniel giving the clues, and then was it, is it 500 years later when Jesus was born? Longer. How many years was it? I'm looking for the timeline. It was uh, six, seven, oh. se almost 700 years. Is it? Yeah. But anyway. 608. So, God likes treasure hunts. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard a, I heard a good saying. I'm not, I'm not, not every Muslim is a terrorist. But every terrorist is a Muslim. It's funny. Not every terrorist is a Muslim. But every Muslim is a terrorist. Every terrorist is a Muslim. Every Muslim is a terrorist. Yeah. I got it the wrong way around. I just I found that quite fascinating. That, you know, look at all the terrorism around the world today. is predominantly Muslim. Yeah. Is it because like, the Arab was a bad man, or is it just that they're bad people? Or, what, what do you think? Or, I think they're misguided. Is prophet was a bad man? No, I think I think I think they were misguided, and yeah, that uh, Muhammad, who was the prophet, uh, an angel appeared in the cave yeah. and started telling him all these things, and he was illiterate, so he couldn't write anything down. Yeah. It was only through what he was saying. But I, be, I believe. Go on. Um, I don't know, 
Yeah. It's meant, to, it's meant to be the angel Gabriel. It's Satan. It's Satan appearing as an angel of light. And he was, as I say, he was illiterate, so through many years people just wrote down whatever they remembered as his sayings that uh, became the Quran. It's interesting. It's our job to give them the truth. We're going to have some exciting opportunities over the next you know, few months, I think, where things are just going to start escalating and picking up. Trevor, do you want to share what you want to start? Yeah. <laughs> you ready? We'll just do this. But I just wanted to—I just wanted to bring everybody on the same page. Um, what I Andy mentioned it earlier about um, this deep repentance thing that I just really felt in the very early hours of. of um, was it Monday morning, um, like really early, I just had this whole sense of the Holy Spirit just saying deep repentance and that we need to pray to the Lord to bring that deep repentance. And it's like that if we ask the Lord to bring a wave of deep repentance, that that will be crucial and key in the, f- the presence of the fear of the Lord, which will bring such open heavens. So I just um, I just wanted to clarify it because it's great what you know what straight away um, everyone prayed on Wednesday night and stuff. But if we as a people can um, you know myself included just actually ask the Lord, ask the Lord actually to bring through His Spirit deep repentance because it's something you can't manufacture. You can't just like suddenly you know from one moment to the next go into deep repentance. And, and it's, I don't even feel that it was, I, I didn't have the sense that it was about anything specific, not that we'd done something wrong or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more a case of just like asking the Lord to send this spirit of deep repentance that will literally just make us cry out to the Lord in such earnestness um, that will welcome the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which will bring people to their knees, in, you know, literally, so that, you know, through that we're going to see many people saved and, and all the rest of it. So I just wanted to clarify that, you know, let's just pray for the Lord to send that deep spirit of deep repentance to us. Yeah, amen. Thank you. 